Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. As a nine, anger is the issue we deal with, but I'm very good at stuffing it beyond even knowing I feel angry. So a growing edge for me has been recognizing when I do feel angry and allowing myself to feel that without it having to be projected onto someone else. Sandra, welcome to Winston-Salem. It's great to be here, Chris. Yeah, back at Wake Forest University, our alma mater. Yeah, even in the Z. Smith Reynolds Library, a place <laughs> I sort of stayed away from when I was a undergrad here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we're excited today because we're going to be exploring the relationship between types 2 and 9. Yes, and we have two fine guests, both of who know the Enneagram quite well, and Dee Irwin and Pat Bailey have been together 28 years and will celebrate their 25th anniversary of their Celtic hand fasting this October. So congratulations, you two. Thank, Thank you. you. Pat Bailey was born and raised in rural upstate New York, and she identifies herself as a teacher. She's taught from third grade through college level, and she gets her energy from being with people, being in nature, traveling, especially on her bicycle. She and Dee created Healing Ground, a day retreat center, as a place to offer hospitality to people seeking the sacred and the ordinary. Dee Irwin, who leads uh, with Type 9, was raised on a small dairy farm in northwestern Wisconsin by her grandparents and is a lifelong learner, avid reader, and a lover of games and puzzles. She's been a teacher, a retreat leader, a spiritual director, and a conflict resolution consultant by profession and an artist, writer, and gardener by passion. Dee enjoys travel, meeting people where they are, and discovering the blessings that each day holds. Welcome, Dee. Thank you. So that we may take in the conversation and the Enneagram material uh, more deeply, let's ground and get present in our bodies just by feeling our feet on the floor and where our bodies meet the chair. Taking some breath to the belly center. Noticing your heart space and opening the heart. And let's engage this with a curious mind. And I invite you to bring the little two and the little nine within to the foreground as we listen in to Pat a two and D a nine discuss what it's like to be in intimate relationship. The lead center of intelligence for type two is the heart center, and this is the relationship center on the Enneagram. The primary motivation for type two is to feel needed. And the focus of attention, this is the attention where uh, we all can't quite help but going. And for the two, that is other people's needs. What do other people in my life or around me need? And particularly important others. Uh, the core fear uh, of the two is being unable to be helpful, to feel useless, uh, rejected, and also uh, unappreciated. Those are all ways that uh, the reactivity gets triggered in the two. 
some of the strengths for the two is a, a willingness to give of time, energy, and love to the other. Uh, they have a positive outlook, uh, and they are very supportive, open-hearted, and a genuine caring and sensitivity to others. And they have a liveness and a positive, active energy. Type 9 is in the center of the body triad, and they know first through gut instinct. And this would be a triad that is fairness-oriented. The motivation for this type is to maintain harmony, and the focus is on others' agendas. So the blind spot is, of course, their own. The core fear for this type is disharmony or conflict, something that might disconnect them from others. And reactivity occurs when nines feel ignored or dismissed, overlooked in a way. The strengths of type nine include a calm and accepting and tolerant presence. They're good listeners. Uh, it's just easy to bend the ear of a nine uh, and feel that you're heard and not judged. They are calm in a crisis. They have a positive outlook. They're good at finding common ground between people and kind of rock steady in relationship. As we engage Pat and D, two and nine, some things to keep in mind that both of these types are positive outlook types and both are other referenced. So in intimacy, what can work well is the two genuinely asking the nine, well, what do you want? And the nine seeing the two as, I want you. What works well for the two of you given your types as nine and two in relationship? We definitely have shared values. We both have the same core sense of honesty and trust, that positive outlook mm -hmm. on life, that the world is a friendly place. Mm. And we love working together. And there are so many ways in which we have joint efforts, if, whether it's working for family members, caring for them in their elder years, whether it's developing the retreat center together, and gardening. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a lot of joint interests. Yes. I think there's also a basic sense that's very strong for both of us about respecting the dignity and worth of each person we meet you know, of seeing the God in everyone. And it's, it, for me, because I could probably be pretty self-sufficient and happy living alone and withdrawing into my little nine inner sanctum. Mm. But I know that relationship is the arena where I'm working out the issues that are part of my growth. And I couldn't have a more perfect partner for doing that. you offer some specific gifts uh, or characteristics of your types that really play well in this relationship? Well, I think one for me you mentioned in your overview, Sandra, is deep listening. Mm -hmm. You know, the ability to really 
be with the other person, to hear what they're saying, to stay present, to um, to not judge, but, mm-hmm. but to listen. And we try to do that with each other. Um, but I think that's certainly a gift I bring to to the relationship. I think the the gift that I bring to the relationship, which I also have to watch, is my genuine wanting to help mm-hmm. and that I am a doer. And with these 20-plus years of bout of cancer, it has been a lot of caretaking, which I think we have been able to do in a very loving, positive way without there being it feeling as though it's a task or a drudgery, mm-hmm. but that it is a shared journey and that we each have a part to play in it, that it's not just one or the other, but that it is definitely shared. We've beat the odds together. (laughs) Yes. So you found that balance of giving and receiving, that mutuality. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because that could be a great setup for a two. I think something else that works well for us and, and increasingly works well for us the more that we do it, and it's certainly something we've lived into, is when we get triggered, either one of us, by reactivity, the other being able to say, what's really going on here? Mm -hmm. What's underneath this? What old wound has just gotten triggered? Where did you go? And to stop and say, what are you feeling? What's happening? And, And we're able to take each other Fortunately, most of the time, one or the other of us can do it um, out of that reactive mode into a just let's take a breath, sink down, and say, what's really going on here? And then we both have a commitment to working on our own stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh We can't fix each other. We can try and manipulate each other, but that doesn't work very well. (laughs) That's right. Disaster. (laughs) I hear you, um, Dee. Uh, I hear wisdom in what you're talking about and a lot of work that each of you have done individually as well as a couple. And I know that you use the word reactivity a number of times. And I know part of what the Enneagram helps us become aware of is what are those reactivity triggers, those places that hook us. Right. Um, so I'm wondering, um, for, for the two of you, where have been some places that your type has tripped you up. And that may be less and less true as you've been long, together longer and the work you've done, but there may be some ways in which you get you have gotten tripped up by your type. What does that look like? I definitely feel that it's getting better, but I have had to really, really work on not doing something as soon as she opens her mouth and I need to wait until she finishes the sentence before I go and do what I think she's asking to be done. And really, that has, that has been a real uh, conundrum. Another part of that is when you ask, would you like me to, you know, her assumption of what she thinks I want, and then jumps into action before she's got the sentence finished, and I've had a chance to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Correct. And and sometimes for type nine, it takes a little while to check in and say, now do I want that? What do I want? 
And so that pause, and you've got this, this enthusiastic mm-hmm. spirit in the two mm-hmm. ready to help, and the nine centering, trying to find what I do want. And so that pause can be um, the work. Yeah, we live, we live at yeah. different speeds. Right. We do. Yeah. We do. And the doorbell rings, and she will be getting ready to put her hands on the chair to get up, and I'm already at the door. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating. Um, in what way frustrating? In that something is already mm-hmm. done before she has a chance. Um, and then I, on the other hand, can, and this is where my inside trigger is, resentment when I feel as though, how come I'm the one that does all the work, Mm -hmm. which is not true. But when I start feeling resentment, then it's time for me to stop and say, okay, what's going on with you? It's not D, it's me. And it's my learning to ask for what I need, Mm -hmm. um, offering what I can, but then really waiting to hear what the answer is Mm -hmm. afterwards. And, and, Type 2 and type 8, my type, uh, we both will fill a vacuum really fast. Very fast. And Mm -hmm. that's lifelong learning, how to just wait and let the vacuum Mm -hmm. be and see who might come forward. And also this idea of resentment. Mm -hmm. I love how you said it because when you're aware of it, it becomes an invitation for you to go, oh, what's going on with me? And often for twos, when their needs are not getting met or when they're not being appreciated, or they feel overwhelmed, this this resentment will come up. And so that's mm-hmm. beautiful. And I'll, you also pointed to this a little bit of, you know, when you start feeling resentful because you're, do quote unquote, doing more. And I, I like to remind twos that part of why they do more is because they jump up and get to the door before other people can. So there's a way in which we Absolutely. create that ourselves, right? Absolutely. It's, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think another um, way in which we do a dance is to know when enough is enough. We'll invite friends for dinner, and I will want to have two or three sides rather than <laughs> perhaps <laughs> just one. <laughs> and it's always, I'm, I'm just conscious of when, when did I learn or when did I compensate and think that I had to do a little bit more in order to be worthy Mm -hmm. or Mm. to really have the hospitality that I would like to show. And sometimes I get so tired preparing that then when the company are present, I'm exhausted Mm. or I'm not able to be fully present. Mm -hmm. So again, I need to learn when enough is enough Mm -hmm. and to back off and just say, okay, this is what we have to offer. This is enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Dee, what impact does that have on you or on the relationship, if any? I think one of the places that it helps me is I tend to be very project-oriented, especially in terms of taking care of the grounds at Healing Ground. And I'm I'm sort of head pruner, and we have a lot to prune. And I can I can get out and get started and work past exhaustion. Mm. So, you know, if Pat can say, you know, is is it time to quit today? <laughs> can you mm. can you finish that tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Um 
And as as long as I think it's an invitation and I don't feel it's a directive, <laughs> I, I can receive that pretty well. Mm. Now, that's a good comment for it everyone is. to pay attention exactly. to. Who's, like, who's in relation with a nine? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, don't tell me what I have to do. Right. Because right. then that stubbornness can come up. Yeah. Then it feels like pressure or mm-hmm. judgment. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about, D, one of those ways that inertia pops into your life. Mm-hmm. You know, just can't stop pruning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have also learned that tone of voice has a lot to do with our communication. Sometimes we get hung up in her thinking that I am saying this is the way we have to do something when I am simply offering it as an option or vice versa. She offers something that I hear as an option when it's something she really wants to do, but it isn't that straightforward. And so we do this dance of both and dropping back and wanting just to do what the other one wants to do rather than really making Um, a mutual decision. We have gotten so much better with that. But I don't know if some of it is between being an only child and being raised with a sibling. I mean, sometimes I go back and forth on that, just saying that's part of the difference in our our upbringing. But Pat's used to negotiating as having a sister. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And sometimes... I hear if I've made a suggestion for something and she says, yes, but how about I I can hear that as rejection of, well, your idea isn't any good, so let me throw something else out. And that's not what she means, mm-hmm. but it's my habitual nineness saying, you know, am I worthy? Mm-hmm. And, um, and falling back if I think I've been rejected or dist in some way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think with what both of us are saying, the big lesson that has been there for us is to not make assumptions mm-hmm. about what the other person yeah. is thinking or perceiving, but to clarify. And we get into trouble when we just act on our assumptions mm-hmm. of what the other means. Great, great. And it's important for nines to really name in a clear way what it is they want. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes nines will ask in small voice, you know, yeah. what I want. Yeah. So to come forward with a bigger voice. Yeah, yeah the word you used, um, Dee, was I, I make a suggestion. And mm-hmm. I wonder how many times your suggestion actually is more about what you want. But it may be harder to say that in a direct way. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I wonder. To, to make clear I statements <laughs> instead of hoping you'll just intuit. <laughs> well, and that's a, that is such a body type thing, Dee. I mean, as a body type, I get that because we're self-forgetting and we want the other to remember us. Yeah. And there's an example of that mm-hmm. when we just have to remember ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You also both use this language of you drop back. This is such a fascinating image for me. And, and in particular, um, Pat, as you were talking about how you both drop, at some point you both drop back and then go ask, what is the, we'll just do what the other wants. And this is where paralysis can happen sometimes mm-hmm. in a 9-2 is you, you both are just like, well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? Right? And then that, that can be difficult. 
we don't stay there too long usually mm-hmm. because then we know it's time to sit down. We call we say we're calling circle and <laughs> sitting down to, mm. to to each listen to what the other one and nine times out of ten we are right there together, but we just somehow hurt each other differently. Mm-hmm. But it's taking that time to really ask what is it that you truly want. What are you needing at this point? Well, and Pat, you used the phrase calling circle, which we have as as code language for a time when we sit together and use a talking piece Mm. so that whoever has the talking piece has the floor and you can talk as long as you need and you're not going to be interrupted. And that's, that's a critical piece of sitting together and and deeply listening to each other. Are there other strategies and practices that you all have developed or engaged in in your relationship that help you uh, navigate this the type difference? I think a huge one that we both continue to work on is letting go of having to be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd rather be happy than be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but our ego can get so involved in you know, the blame, shame, guilt mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't serve anything other than massage our ego, keep it employed. <laughs> That's right. It's fighting hard to be employed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My way of vocalizing that would be that I'm not concerned about something being perfect, but that it feels right. That it's not a case of one upsmanship, that it is. Um, it's loving and letting the other person know that they're valued, that you are enough just as you are. You don't have to do one thing more. And I'm saying that to myself yes. as much as to Dee, too, that um, I am enough. I am here. I am with you. I love you. Mm-hmm. Let's go from that place. In mm-hmm. a strategy that works with when we forget to do that, <laughs> is um, what Thomas Keating calls catching yourself in the act. Mm. And when we realize, oops, there I've, I've just gone to my habitual reactivity and, and realizing that's what we've done and saying, I can choose to do something different mm-hmm. right now. What helps, your, what helps you catch yourself in the act? What cultivates that for you? When I realize I'm going into um, a well-worn pattern from my childhood and and earlier adulthood, um, you know that I I can put on a good pout, a good pity party, if <laughs> you know if that's what my ego is wanting. But I've learned to say, all right, you can do that for five minutes, and that's enough. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't serve anything. Right. And I find that I spend less and less time ruminating about 
what I should have said, what I wish had happened, what I think is going on, and and more and more time saying, can we talk about this? You mm -hmm. know, let let's clarify what's happening here. So, the longer we're together, the less time we spend, you know, sort of kvetching about old wounds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The repairs are much faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're genuinely interested in supporting each other's inner growth. Mm. Yeah. So it's that learning to be gentle with each other. Mm. You know, neither of us hears criticism well. Mm. Um, so how how do we say something that invites reflection without either of us going into reactivity about, now? what did I do wrong now? We have a, a phrase of... of Second breath, I forget who introduced us to that. Um, but the second breath is that I hear my tone of voice, and then I realize, oops, that's not, she may hear something different in that. And then my second breath, I can come back and perhaps phrase it a different way or clarify what it is that I need, but that it might come out incorrectly the first time. Yeah, and again, like what helps you catch that? What? How do you hear that first time so that you take that second breath? I guess it's really listening to myself <laughs> mm -hmm. and realizing that someone else could could hear it a different way than I hear. So again, it's stepping into someone else's shoes. Um, I think it's clear, but it's not. Mm. And when we're in face-to-face -face conversation and not in rooms down the hall from each other, it's the other person's expression. You know, did did what I say land the way I wanted it to, or is there a, a look that says, uh-oh, mm -hmm. um, that, that got interpreted or perceived differently? Mm. So inside I say, oops, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we start afresh. You know, both of you are um, type 2 and 9 are other-focused. Mm -hmm. And so what helps you uh, tend to self? What helps you, each of you may do this differently, but what helps you kind of go, what matters to me? What's important to me? How do I show up here? That would probably still be my growing edge, mm -hmm. <laughs> that I have been so other-focused that a lot of the time I don't have a clue what it is that I need. And that's where my taking time to have some still time, quiet time, centering time, and my bicycle. Mm -hmm. My bicycle and, and being more physical, but being outside and on my bike, it, it just clears my head, my heart. I often describe it as that I feel as though I've taken a shower from the inside out. <laughs> it, oh, it just lets, lets things go, and I get a fresh perspective of coming back. But I know that that physical exercise is grounding for me. Mm -hmm. You're bringing in your body. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Kind of having the body ground some of your thinking and feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. What about you, Dee? As, as a body type who spends a lot of time living in my head, um, it's getting in touch with my feelings. Mm. Mm. You know, 
what what am I really feeling here? And how can I communicate that cleanly you know, without trying to manipulate, without, um, without expectation, really, but just to honor this is what I'm feeling in the moment and to have support in exploring that. Because I've shut down a lot of feelings through my life. You know, as, as a nine, anger is the issue we deal with, but I'm very good at stuffing it beyond even knowing I feel angry. Mm-hmm. So a growing edge for me has been recognizing when I do feel angry and l- allowing myself to feel that without it having to be projected mm-hmm. onto someone else. What do you feel like or what are you noticing about your body that tells you you might be getting angry? You mean because I'm holding my breath or <laughs> <laughs> for example. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, sort of a tightness in the gut. And sometimes it's, I just feel it boiling up, you Mm -hmm. know, and being in touch with that feeling is relatively new for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm 73 and I've probably spent 65 years not feeling it at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's still a growing edge And, and being able to allow myself to feel angry, to say anger is, you know, is an emotion that has a place yeah. too, but, but how do I own it as my stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something I think we try and work on for each other and with each other is asking what of this is mine mm-hmm. and what of it is not mine, but I need to stay out of reactivity so that my partner can explore mm-hmm. whatever she needs to about it. I'm curious, Dee, because I've, I've heard some nines say, you know, I have to check in with myself because sometimes when I'm feeling sad, there's anger underneath. Did mm-hmm. you, do you experience that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, think, um, I think depression and sadness are both uh, blankets covering anger mm-hmm. in many ways. Mm-hmm. I've also heard some nines say that anger is a gift once you're aware of it because it actually helps you move. It, yeah. it, it moves the energy out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it does. Mm. And as you know, a nine who can be prone to procrastination once in a great while, <laughs> 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 it propels me into action. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Pat, are you pretty good at picking up knowing when Dee is getting angry? That has been something that I definitely have learned. And there mm. are some times where I just know, you know what, this isn't mine. This is, this is something she's got to work through. And all I can tell you is that it frees me up, I, that, I, that I don't get caught in it. And I just give her some space so that she can work it through. And usually we can come back... It, it may be an hour or so later. It may be a day or two later. Mm-hmm. But 
it's giving her space and my not taking it in and mm-hmm. taking it personally mm-hmm. and knowing that it's something that I've done and start judging myself. Mm. But that that's taken some time yeah. to get to that place. The way that the two of you were talking about anger, I was sitting here wondering if it's sort of a gift when it occurs because you kind of get cleared out and clear in your head and Pat knows to come back to herself and stay with herself. Mm-hmm. That's when the other referencing that Chris and I have talked about kind of gets pushed aside by anger and the two of you come home to yourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I really appreciate about our relationship is we can talk about difficult things with each other. And because we have the the Day Retreat Center and are working with so many groups of people to create a safe place for other people to, mm-hmm. to talk about the things that are scary in life. Mm. Do you think that you're able to do that because you know both of you have this positive outlook? Does that make it easier? I think it does. You know, I think if Pat were someone that was always seeing the the glass half empty, it would be a lot more challenging. It's that can-do attitude. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. So I'm curious about uh, some ways that each of you can think about or name how you can help your relationship flourish. Another way of asking that question is, where is your invitation to grow? And that might be your individual invitation, which would be great to hear given your type. Also, it might be your relationship, the invitation for your relationship as well. I think for me, and it's a bit of both, Chris, Mm -hmm. It's an increasing willingness to be vulnerable, you know, to not bring my defended self forward, mm. to be present, to be open, to be honest. Don't succeed at that all the time, sure. but that's definitely a growing edge. If I can, um, if I can say it's it's safe enough in this relationship to allow myself to be vulnerable, then I've got support in the growth and in bringing forth honestly what is percolating for me instead of bringing my armor forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and vulnerability for nine uh, is often in just naming what you really want. Yeah. 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 What matters to you, what's important. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, if I if I can't show up for myself, I can't show up for Pat. Mm-hmm. Wow, nice. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, that growing edge <clears throat> is being patient and waiting, and not jumping forward and making assumptions. So it's it's patience 
and really deep listening. Um, Pat, what's so scary about waiting? Maybe it's not being totally present and just having other agendas running rather than really totally being present in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wait, do you, does it mean you have to tend to yourself? Yes. <laughs> yes. There's going to be some fear and anxiety there, I think, mm-hmm. in waiting. Mm-hmm. And really, mm-hmm. that's just something for, for all of us, if we can't wait, to explore mm-hmm. what's so scary about it. Because mm-hmm. anxiety will come up. And it's the coping strategy, the well-worn path, is to go and do. Yeah. And because we use circle practice with ourselves and in uh, most of the retreats that we have at the at healing ground i have learned and seen the value of someone of waiting until someone passes that talking piece and the most incredible things will happen and come out when you've given them that space to really process it themselves and then speak it. And it's just amazing. Mm. So the invitation to myself is to give myself permission to just wait and let it just just sit with myself. Mm. Lovely. And that, that allows for divine agenda. Yes. Yeah. That it's spirit-led. Mm-hmm. Mm. I will, I will just name, too, in that, that I've, I don't know how you all feel, but in this moment, I feel like the pace of this interview is a little slower. It's a, We're doing a little bit more waiting, which I really appreciate. I know that as a person who conducts the interview, I'm sort of always thinking, what's the next question? How do I go to the next thing? And I'm aware, and partly, I think, because of what you bring, uh, D. It also touches the part of me that wants to be a little slower than everybody else. <laughs> but I just want to acknowledge that and mm-hmm. appreciate, notice that as we're mm-hmm. in it. Thank you, Chris. Yes. Is there anything else either of you would like to add um, to teach us about the relationship between two and nine that we haven't spoken of? Well, the work is never done. Yep. And it's an ongoing being present, catching ourselves, supporting each other. Um, I don't think there's, either of us think there's a point where we've arrived and it's done. We can just coast from here on. But something that's happening for us right now that I think is a good indication of what we've learned in 28 years together is that we're saying we're in our early, mid 70s, what do we want the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of our lives to be like? And as we've begun exploring that a little more actively, we find we're really in perfect sync about it. Mm. You know, it's surprising how easy that conversation is, and as we explore options, how right they feel and how the timing is right and we want to make decisions before there's another health crisis or 
anything that says we've got to do this now um, and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I think, a testimony to the work we've done together that, that this conversation, which is really a conversation about how do you want the end of your life to be? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do you want your death to be like? Um, is, uh, those are conversations we've had with each other mm-hmm. and are comfortable having with each other. And we couldn't have done that 20 years ago. When death was knocking at the door with the cancer diagnosis. Yes, very literally. <laughs> right, right. And we don't take ourselves too seriously. I mean, we have a sense of humor. Yeah. We can joke about when we've had some miscommunication, some blip. You mean when your imp shows up again? Yeah, right. <laughs> so we have fun. We do have fun. Um, and we just genuinely enjoy one another. Mm. Um, a mutuality. Yeah, you have a beautiful spirit. It's just so present in this room. Uh, part of what Chris was describing, I think. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I'd like to end by uh, reading this quote um, from Rainer Maria Rilke. I hold this to be the highest task of a bond between two people, that each should stand guard over the solitude of the other. For if it lies in the nature of indifference and of the crowd to recognize no solitude, then love and friendship are there for continually providing the opportunity for solitude. And only those are the true sharings which rhythmically interrupt periods of deep isolation. It's beautiful. With heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity, for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.